Robocop 2 is a big pile of empty air. <laughs> I wouldn't buy this podcast for 50 cents. Well, how about a dollar? <laughs> That's more than 50 cents. <laughs> Welcome to the Flick Lab. I studied media. I studied media. I swear. <laughs> I studied media. Quality podcast, dear listeners. Henrik also studied media. I'm Kari, by the way. Yeah, I'm Henrik. Nice to meet you. Same, same too. And welcome to today's episode. Everybody, today we are looking at films from the glorious 80s. The proper time period when movies were made for adults and then marketed for children. With titles like Robocop. With titles like Robocop. Aren't you enticed? Which is a great title. It automatically explains what the movie is all about. Much like Predator or Terminator. Yeah. Or Stop or Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> so, so much so that when I was a kid, I didn't want to watch Robocop because it sounded ridiculous. On Amor House, on, on the other hand, my mom used Robocop as an extortion tool. Like, if you don't clean up your room, you can't watch Robocop until you have done so. I think there's been many movies like that during the time of this podcast, where your parents are gracefully letting you watch a film as long as you keep <laughs> your room tidy. I, I, I don't know about room tidy. My parents were... Extremely supportive when it came to like my understanding of of film and cinema and, and experiencing the world of kino. Robocop most definitely was was a movie that once was used in order to extort me to actually clean up my room. Yeah, I, I can see where your understanding of America came from as a place where <laughs> things just blow up. <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely understandment of everything. You can't believe how hard it was for me to, for, for the first time ever in my life, to make a contact with the op- member of an opposite sex after seeing all the ha- American Hollywood gangbusters. This is the guy I have to work with. The mixture between Daniel Sloss and Ye Karjalainen. <laughs> this is the guy I have to be every single day of my life. <laughs> So, uh, this is the second episode that I'm recording from the Philippines, so kind of a constant evolving thing for me. We've been doing this for, what, almost four years. I I can't believe we're still going with all these changes in my life and my locations, but gosh darn it, we are strong. If nothing else, we are stubborn. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, everything in the world has tried to tell us to stop. Even our own brains. Fiends have tried to make, make us stop. Our listener base has tried to make us stop. Yeah. Our co-host has tried to make us stop and left. <laughs> but yeah, the, the core core unit is still going on. We come from the land of ice and snow, Finland. And what we do here is we try to analyze films with some certain themes that kind of tie them together. Not so sure if that's the case tonight. 
it kind of maybe tries somewhere halfway and then crashes into the ocean. We'll see. I actually kind of has to t- have to take a contrarian stance on on that notion. I I I say that RoboCop gets things right. The the, the sequels not so much. Um, uh, we can we can argue about do they get the things right, and we can argue about are they good movies? Uh not necessarily. No. And necessarily, the the messaging of the movies does not always completely work. But contrast this to this to our Terminator episode, where with the Terminator franchise, the problem we faced was that the films were extremely samey to a point where the franchise could only master up to two different plot lines. But when it came to the identity of the franchise, it was kind of all over the place. There's no fate except the one we make. Except there is fate and Judgment Day is set in stone. Except perhaps we can change the fate. Uh, Genesis was... Even Genesis doesn't know what the Genesis was. And the Dark Fate was... Oh, actually, no, the fate is still set in stone. You can stop in the Skynet, but some AI will rogue. There is no fate but what we, what we make, which is shitty sequels. Yups. Uh, Robocop... On the other hand, at least the, the, the original trilogy and perhaps not the remake from 2014 has the opposite problem, where kind of the, the narrative building blocks go willy-nilly in, in odd directions. He's a cop, he's a freedom fighter, he doesn't even know what he is. Oh no, he's a slave to his programming. Well, now he freed himself from his own programming. Oh no, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess now he did by the by the sheer free will. But the identity of the franchise actually stays. Once again, at least for the original trilogy, it stays the same. Like every... The first three films, all of them try to be a sarcastic critique of capitalism. That's well, basically what they are. It doesn't mean that they succeed necessarily, and it doesn't mean that they are necessarily good movies. But they all try to basically they try to be satires of the same thing, which is capitalism. Now, I would argue that the Robocop brings to the table a lot of themes and then kind of mixes them together in, into a blender. And even the if there is kind of like a lot of thought put into what kind of themes there would be. I'm not so sure that the themes are going anywhere except just being there as part of the the sat- satirical take on on the politics at the time and, and the society at the time and not really saying so much of anything about them. And this is kind of supported by the director himself, if you want to read it that way, Paul Verhoeven, who said that he's not out to make political movies, he's just interpreting and seeing things and witnessing things and just putting them on film. And I kind of am sensing a misinterpretation in that quote. Because to me, Paul Verhoeven has never been anything except a political filmmaker. Not like in your face openly. And not necessarily in every single one of his films. Like, okay, not necessarily basic instinct and, you know, flesh and blood, but 
his his primary work has been actually quite political, not necessarily in the sense, oh yeah, hey, I, I absolutely want to make a political film, like Verhoeven most is, like you stated, he is an observer. Yeah. He's, he's someone who who tries to look at the society and then tries to form some type of a sentence about yeah. that society. But in his act of doing that, Verhoeven repeatedly throughout his body of work lands into being a political. He does. Yeah, he does. Um, but I wouldn't say that he necessarily wants to say much in Robocop with that. Well, let's say Paul Verhoeven is kind of political oriented and, and Robocop as well is. But when you look at the sequels, for, for example, Robocop 2, where's the politics? There's something about the Detroit city being taken over by OCP, the private company. Other than that, it completely, I think it loses the fun. There are some semi-gory scenes of people being blown into pieces, but it doesn't really go beyond that. There is no context to those killings. There's one scene where the cop is just blown to pieces several times uh, by the antagonist of that film, and there's nowhere any moment of ha-ha-ha in that. It's just a cold-blooded murder. Whereas Verhoeven kind of gets to that whole comic book and that funny, silly thing where people are killed in the office by the bigger robo. Yeah, like, once again, I I kind of agree with you. Like, to say... When I, when I say that I find political or movie franchise identity merit in the films, it doesn't automatically mean that the movie itself is good. We are, this is something that we most definitely have to, like, uh, touch upon when we are talking about, well, if nothing else, Robocop 3, hmm. which is not a good movie, not the least. It's, it's a heaping pile of horseshit as a, as a movie. Yeah. But I, I, I still see that there is actually quite a lot what the film tries to say about its subject matter. Like, well, the, the whole aspect of, of privatization and corpor- uh, corporization of, of governance and where that will lead you. Like, I, I still see Robocop 3 as a, as a criticism of capitalism and corporatization of, of basically public features. And I also see like an arc between, you know, the first three movies. Okay. Like, yeah. Well, let, let's, how do you want to take this? Do you want to go like movie by movie and then kind of tie them up together? Or do you want to just go all over the place? Oh, well, we can try to do the movie movie by movie and then fail miserably and end up <laughs> going all over the place. We can, okay, we can try to have have like like uh, talk about every single movie as an individual as some type of a loose framework to get some type of a construction around today's episode. But due to the fact that <clears throat> the messaging of the movies are what they are and they touch upon a subject matters that they touch upon, it's kind of really hard to like isolate the themes of. Especially, well, I would say all the four movies. Like, you can't talk about just the themes of, of the remake 
when we land upon remake because partly they are the same goddamn themes that have already been brought up in in the first RoboCop since this is a franchise that revisits its th- themes. Yeah, yeah, yes it does. Well, at least in, in in the remake. Well, if anything can be said to start off, that if anything can be said in the defense of RoboCop 2 and 3 is that they're doing something different to the original, but then RoboCop 2 is a big pile of empty air. Apart <laughs> and it's not helped by the problem with the with the writer's strike at the time. It's not that bad of a movie. Well, you know, it takes about 40 minutes to figure out what the hell is going on in the film. What does it want to say? And turns out it's not much. It's basically like a movie for children now, already before Robocop 3. It's a movie for children in a sense that it doesn't have so much to say. Like I said, the Detroit City takeover, fine. But then it's just a Robocop versus a bad Robocop. And it doesn't really tie any of the loose ends that we already left with in Robocop, the first one. What is happening to Dan O'Hurley, his character? He's just... He he gets away, unfortunately. They could have... Actually, and this was something that the, the actor Weller was complaining about, Mr. Robocop, that this is not enough. This is not enough to have in the third act the, the big fight with the big bad bad cops, so to say. It needed something else, and there just wasn't any third act to speak of. And it gives kind of a vibe that that was to be resolved, perhaps, at the time in Robocop 3, which turned gears into motion very so- shortly after the second one, but it wasn't meant to be. Well... Let's put a pin on that, because once we touch upon that talking about, we have to also talk about the unused, or partly used, Frank Miller scripts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh boy, is that a mess. You're, you're kind of right. You're, you're kind of right. Like, they were supposed to close up on, on those, those plot lines. But, <laughs> oh boy, they, they weren't supposed to touch or close those on Robocop 3. They were supposed to close those on Frank Miller's script of Robocop 3. Yeah, well, if you're going to hire Connell Cochran into your movie, of course you're going to fight Connell Cochran in your movie. But we never got into that. Do you know why Dan O'Hurley, he left after two? <laughs> it's not a mystery to me, but if there's been any comments that you've seen. Actually, I don't know. Please enlighten. Yeah, please send us a comment on our Facebook page. So, Verhoeven, yeah. Is this a gender-flipped metropolis? It's not really... I would say no. I would say no. I can see... I can see some of the similarities. Like, both films have... A highly technical society, which has a class between the working people at the bottom and basically the technologically driven elite at the top. Both of them have the concept of a cyborg that brings, or at least is supposed to bring, a societal change. In Metropolis, that does happen. The cyber, a cyborg in the end, or the android at the end of the film 
kind of works as a way to force a societal change, which comes into a coordination when the working class and the technological elite join hands. The, the heart and the brain work together at the end of the film. Mm. In Robocop, however, uh, even though Robocop is meant to be... Well, in, in first of all, in Metropolis, the, the android cyborg thingy is meant to be a destroyer. At least from its creator's Wolfgang's end. It's meant to collapse the, the elite that he's jealous of, and the elite dreams that this invention will somehow lead them into a better, better society. Uh, in Robocop, they, everybody, the whole OCP, outside of Dick Jones, who's a dick, uh, strongly believe that Robocop is the chosen savior of basically Detroit. OCP, Delta City, you name it. Robocop is supposed to function as someone who, yes, will force a societal change and will force it for good. There is no real malice or ill intent in behind creation of Robocop. He is the solution to a problem. And at the end of the film, it, it turns out that, well, Robocop doesn't really change the society in any way. Uh, the heart and, and the brain do not work together the same in inequality that starts the film still presides. So I wouldn't say that Robocop is, is a gender-flipped version of Metropolis, even though yeah. some similarities between the films do exist. Right, right. Perhaps it could be said that Robocop is a relatively original work insofar as I see it, and uh, a film where the arc works really well, at least for our main character, there might be more to discuss, but in the sense of the Robocop's character, the arc really works. It's just a human lost within a machine, and by the end we see that he finds himself, or that's that's the notion that I got, and he remembers who he is. He understands who he is. It seems he's not suffering, he's doing okay, and the audience can relax and lights on. I believe he's not suffering. But his lack of suffering is, is based on self-deceit and deception. Um, uh, like, like to put it, put it in other words, yes, at the end of the film, Robocop remembers who he is, and he gains back his identity. As, he, as the film states, or, or close up, he states that his name is Murphy, which means that he has regained his identity. Robocop does not regain his freedom, however. He's still slave to the machine and to the programming that OCP installs in him in the beginning of the film, which is also showcased to you at the end of the film when Robocop can't shoot Dick Jones before Dick Jones is being fired from the OCP. So, I believe that as, as Murphy walks out of the OCP headquarters at the end of the film, he strongly believes that he is now Murphy, a free individual, but in reality he is Murphy, a programmed individual. He just can't make the definition between, you know, me having free will, me being programmed to do, and I doing what the program says. For me, he is very much also uh, partly human 
in the film and many of the decisions that he makes after all are also made because of his small piece of humanity that is left inside there and so i i feel like he he he's mostly himself but he can't make some decisions because the the machinery is not allowing him to like you said like he cannot override some of the commands written into it i on the other hand i i see that the decisions he makes throughout the film he does because of his programming like the fir- first uh, prime directive that he has was uphold the law so he does that yeah and he makes decisions that yeah. uphold the law and well, so, uh, upheld you know public trust well, and it, protect the innocent well but, even even um, so i f- i feel that there is there's a man behind all those commands and well he's he's we can see parts of his humanity he has to follow the programming that is built in but he's he's kind of like a body who is not unable to control himself in all the decision making kind of a part of the ride kind of like a you know kind of like a game on rails yeah i would say that like i'm not saying that he is not a man I, i'm not he most definitely he he is a man by the end end of the movie but i would say he's a man if ocp or if if you know body would capture him and reprogram the first directive do all the crime he would be a man who would think that he has the decision to do all the crime and then he would go and do all the crime but he would still do all the crime because of the programming and i i see kind of like that it's the same situation vice versa in at the actual ending of the film yeah but he's he's a cop he he wants to be a cop murphy wants to be a cop he was a cop before he became robocop he wants to be a cop still that stays intact and he still is um he still is murphy he just is incapable of ever choosing to be anything else but a cop anymore well henrik i think the big problem with the discussing robocop the first one of or all of them is that they bring to the table a lot of topics but then they don't necessarily go so far with them anywhere they're they're just there like the script writers have been saying i i forgot who it was of them but speaking of the first robocop that it was kind of an interesting idea to to bring to the table to the script some of these questions that the audience might has have as a consequence of putting in a scene where he visits his home in the first one and ha- has these kind of flashbacks the questions in the hum- in the audience might be something like well is he a human how much is he a human blah 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 but you could go on and on and on and on and on with these questions there's not so much resolution to many of these questions it's just there like left in the air like hmm, yeah that's interesting and there's like 150 of these interesting things yeah that's true uh but in 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 the case of the first film that still does not yet bother me i I think first film works well enough that it can leave bunch of unanswered questions into air so that you know obnoxious film buffs like you and me can then debate over them and and have fights about well is he free or is he not is he a person is he a robot who knows uh that's in my opinion that's all you know fair and dandy 
when it comes to the first film. Because the first film's it's kind of whole intent is on the the other direction. It more wants to satirize and criticize the 80s capitalistic system and, and the environment that was in, in full swing do, during that time when the movie came out. That's kind of, kind of where it wants to lie. And once again, like to harken back to, to what you said about Verhoeven, him not being a political filmmaker, I, I still believe that he quite so damn often he does do politics in his films, but if we are to take him more as an observer and someone who just wants to like say what he sees, in that sense, I then also am kind of willing to look past on Verhoeven himself, never closing any of his like satirical critique of capitalism talking points. In fact, I actually do kind of feel that, at least in the case of the first movie, it's one of the film's strengths. The fact that it never actually resolves the mm. the opening conflict that it presents. Like the OCP just trying to get all the ground of Detroit and trying to force the idea of Delta City and trying to privatize the police. Yeah. But the fact that the film never closes those points, never actually says anything like final on those points. In my opinion, it works in the film's favor because it showcases at the end, it, it builds up into this, this downer ending where it the works. rich stay rich, the powerful stay, stay powerful, the, the divide is still there and Murphy is a slave. It works in the film's benefit for many viewers for sure. And I guess in the first one still including me because it still has a story to tell. Yeah, but what do you see, say about, you know, the, let's say, twisty birth process of the film and its script. That also holds pretty much water. Because as far as I've understood, the creation process of Robocop, the movie, it never really was that clear or it didn't go quite fluently um the, the original idea for, for the script once again if this if we are to believe the stories would be that one of the scriptwriters just happened to to see the poster for Blade Runner and ask his friend about what well is Blade Runner all about friend says that it's a man who hunts robots it's a cop who hunts robots and that gives the idea, what about if I write a script about a, ro- a cop who is a robot? That's writes true. the script, Verhoeven hates it, <laughs> the studio can't find a director for for it, they pass like four directors, nobody wanna touch it. Eventually Verhoeven's wife says to him that, you know, look up the script, there's something that you are not seeing. After that, Verhoeven... It kind of is, it's hard to say how much reworking Verhoeven insisted on the script before the shooting started, but like, but this is supposed to be the moment after which Verhoeven chooses to make Robocop. The casting is a nightmare. Uh, Peter Weller is cast because of his chin. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, they have the whole casting process for, for Murphy and the, the whole... Uh, Verhoeven and the, the company that's just ch- secretly having like the rating system for people's chins. 
<laughs> right chin for Robocop. That's how Weller lands the job. Doesn't really want to do it at times. The suit is a nightmare. Need some kind of a French mime to teach him how to actually work it. The studio is about to pull the plug on the film at least once, perhaps twice during the process. So it's a, it's like a it's a whole shebang the creation yeah. of Robocop. Well, it's the- not like. That there is this golden script, and they find a passionate director who sees sees the power in it in the first go, and the studio is enthusiastic. Yeah, we want to do it, and the actors are all in the all ready to go. Yeah, we want to do this too. It's like a million things where everybody is pissed at some point. A yeah, rumor has it that the entire Robocop was almost cancelled because they couldn't find anyone with a non-sexualized hair, but then. Nancy Allen came into the picture, and then they, well, they needed to non-sexualize the hair, and then it was a go. Yeah, uh, but could also be true, See, seeing how troubled the production of Robocop, at least at times, was. Right, everybody hated each other. They were ready to yeah. shoot themselves to the head, I hear. Yeah, and, and who wasn't go, uh, at, at least once planning to just walk out of the set and say that I'm finished with this project? Right. But there's some mixed voices some people absolutely loved, and somebody said that it was the best summer of their life. So, yeah, you know, while the director is using antidepressants. Yeah, that, that is true. Then I also have to kind of wonder why on earth you actually would put Paul Verhoeven of all people in, in charge of your what was meant to be your next Hollywood blockbuster action film. Yeah, interesting choice, interesting choice. A guy who really didn't even understand the script, but then he was like, oh, right, yeah, darling, I think this is... I don't really get it, but let's do it anyway. But Yeah, and yeah. you kind of also have to... Like, like something to take note here. Like, when when talking about Orion's production company's decision-making, like, <sighs> Robocop is the first noticeable movie that Paul Verhoeven does in Hollywood. It's not his first, necessarily. How you count the first one is kind of how you count it. It's his second film with the production company Orion. The first one would have been Flesh and Blood. Hmm. And Verhoeven's calling card to Hollywood was the film called Soldier of Orange. This is the movie that the cast and crew, when it comes to personal interviews and them deciding to do Robocop, they all refer back to. Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, they all say that, oh, I had seen Soldier of Orange. <laughs> and that gave me the, well, like, the, the spark to do a Paul Verhoeven feature. And, well, those who don't know, Soldier of Orange is a drama film that at times, but at time when it came out, criticized... Holland's role in the the Second World War, and something to say about about the Dutch as people. They are more perhaps open than your average American. They they have at least my reading of them is that the Dutch have this. They they have this certain type of spirit of a kind of a wanting to have the cat on the table. Wanting to be open and having an honest, open discussion about basically about everything. In my opinion, you actually see this in Dutch homes. C- kind of like a, 
honest and in-your-face approach. Maybe a, a bit Finnish. Yeah, perhaps perhaps bit Finnish. Like they don't want to to hide whole bunch of things in in their closet. Yeah. If you watch Dutch homes, they all have this. Like the living rooms have these these giant ass windows, and they usually I've understood don't use that much drapes. Which means that at night time, if you are on the street, you can actually see through the windows into the into you know the family's living room, and they are fine with that. As Things should be at the open and not hidden away. So basically, from this mindset, in this country, Verhoeven does Soldier, Soldier of Orange, which is a movie so goddamn open and on the table that it's too much even for the Dutch. And the Dutch are starting to be like, Verhoeven shouldn't do more movies here. Perhaps Verhoeven should be banned because of Soldier of Orange. And as as Verhoeven fa- finds out that he has, it, it's more and more difficult for him to, to to you know practice his craft at his home country. That apparently is like like the final spark for Verhoeven to start eyeing at you know changing into Hollywood. So the dude who is too in your face and too open, even for the bloody Dutch, is the guy that. The production company Orion then decides that you know you know he he should helm action blockbuster RoboCop. Yeah, you know that, but... that's the that's the like the production department decision at the headquarters of Orion, and they all went home confi- confident that nothing bad can ever stem from this decision. No, it almost looked like they were trying to get Paul Verhoeven on board as for shits and giggles, but. Then actually, they were surprised to say uh, when they when he said that yeah, I'm gonna do this. Oh, all right. There is this whole um, maybe to continue on the themes of the first movie a little bit. The whole Jesus slash Satan position, which I thought was kind of a overblown or kind of kind of funny to compare it like that. But I see where they're going with it and what they want to say with that. There are similarities. There is a Good person that gets brutally murdered, like let's say Jesus on a cross, then and um, there's yeah, you even have a like a half crucifixion thing. Jesus was nailed through both of his hands. Murphy loses one hand. So yep. You have like hand in hand. Yeah, and this happening in the first twenty minutes or so of the film. Yeah, that's powerful stuff too get the audience engaged, yada, 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 yeah, and already in that short period of time, I suppose we got the audience to a place where they can deeply empathize with this guy, well, well, he has a kid, and oh, he likes to do this gun thing for his kid, and he must be a very good cop, so then it's all sad, sad when he gets blown to pieces, and uh, then, though there is a violent return, (laughs) a resurrection, an American Jesus who shoots the bad guys, gets his revenge. So, once again, it's kind of, theme-wise, it's all over the place. But, funny callbacks. I don't know about all over the place. I do think that people who read the American Jesus aspect in the film, and Verhoeven stating that he meant Murph to be an American Jesus, it actually quite well works. Yeah. It it works in the sense that you have the visual callbacks to to Jesus, hell even even from certain perspectives like the wires that go 
in the back of Murphy's head can create a visual illusion of kind of like a well wire crown which harkens back to the crown of thorns that Christ was made to, to wear upon his his walk to the crucifixion. But it never actually is like super in your face about it. It's it's enough that you can actually notice that the similarities between Murphy and Jesus. Yeah. But it's not like well fuck Matrix Three. Neo dies at the end and he spreads his hands. The machines lift him up and there's like light coming out of his chest which forms a cross. Do you mm. get it? Do you get it? Neo is like Jesus. It's it's not, not on sure. that level. Yeah. It's not on that level, but it still like has enough visual callbacks. I think right. that when it comes to making the Jesus metaphors in your action movies, this actually would be the right way to do it. Yeah, well, it it works in the storytelling sense. You get the huge empathy for this character. He comes back and he has a reason to uh, get the revenge, and uh, the audience is rooting with with this metal maniac. So yeah, it also works as a kind of a let's say soft condemnation of America itself. Like once again, once again, uh, when the film came out, nineteen eighty five. 70s and 80s were peak time in institutional criminal mongering in America. Like every goddamn institution, including two presidents, those being the Nixon and Reagan, Reagan, both made the case how America is losing in this wave of crime and how can we protect ourselves. And the th- this tactic, and it was a tactic, it was knowingly used method. Was used to lull the Americans accept, into accepting more and more totalitarian and at times even draconian policies, including militarization of the police, harassing policing of the com- communities, and the, and the whole war on drugs thing that they ended up doing. And the end result of all of this was a skyrocketing uh, prison population that. The American is suffering even still. Yeah. And in in kind of a in this sense, in this sense, like as as a background thing to the to the whole plot of, of Robocop, Robocop works kind of as a knight in shining armor. Kind of a perfect action hero for these times, who can kinda of, who, who can gun down the bloodthirsty de- degenerates. Kind of a, as since America is so goddamn religious all the goddamn time, <laughs> kind of a, a violent version of of the American savior, a savior that Americans themselves perhaps would even want at that time if they could just have it. Yeah, I guess instead would... of having your Christ just you know forgiving everybody's their sins, perhaps they would actually opt out for more for like a Christ that just has a giant ass gun and uses blast off the bad guys and yeah. the america itself as a nation having its salvation through the act of violence much like murphy does in in the film in the extremely small case of basically destroying one gang of thugs and one crooked see uh crooked business head yeah i guess it would have not really made an interesting film to follow if would have been just watching a robocop marching into the irs office or or trying to force some socialism, as they say, 
on America to solve the goddamn root problem <laughs> instead of watching a Robocop just shooting people's heads off in the Republican no, I mean, way. Yeah, and in this sense, the film also kind of works as a critique of, of all of this. Showing how the rich and powerful drive forward the fear and discrimination in order to fathom their profit margins. And how at the end of the way, day, power and law will service only those at the top. And your likelihood to, to face actual consequences depends on you know your proximity, your personal proximity to the throne and whoever happens to be the biggest dog. Like, much in the same way uh, as, as the film itself operates at, at its closing moments. And this is enjoyable to the masses, and I have zero empathy for people like this. And yeah, but this film is punching up. It's punching up instead of punching down. So it's very enjoyable. Fun for the whole family. Well, yeah, I'm not necessarily whole family. It's one of us all hell. Well, but certainly it was something that garnered the kiddies' attention, also in the producers' minds in Robocop 3. But, well, Henrik, Robocop 2, we have... I guess this is the uh, attempt to make uh, Empire Strikes Back Part 2 with Irvin Kirshner. Well, this is kind of... Robocop 2 is an interesting piece in Robocop franchise. It, it means two things for everything that happens afterwards. It's a kind of a... Uh, from this point onwards, from Robocop 2 onwards, we are not no longer anymore talking about Robocop the movie, where a robot is a cop. We are talking about Robocop, a multi-branch franchise. Because following Verhoeven's film's critical and financial success, Orion, like you stated, Already uh, looked for many different ways to, to branch out Robocop as, as a franchise. Which is a decision that led into some decisions that, uh, to, to say, say it politely, missed Verhoeven's entire point. Completely. Completely. These new venues included things like children's toys, children's animated TV series... Later on, comic book lineup that the original '90s one that was has since been uh, been followed by you know countless amount of more comics. Sometimes Robocop even there was even Robocop vs Terminator and God knows what comic book yeah. books pajamas and especially the the animated t kids TV series is extremely notorious here, having lasted only for something like. 12 episodes where the violence was completely removed from from Robocop. Robocop didn't kill anyone anymore and well OCP was depicted more as as clueless and clumsy not outright malicious as they had been been previously and Robocop himself in the animated series faced threats like um, you know, modern-day Robin, Robin Hood and, and anti-robot racism. And basically, this, this time period is it's noticeable for two things. First of all, it, it forms the pop-cultural environment from which all the, all the later sequels, including Robocop 2, kind of has to rise from. This 
point onwards, the franchise tries in a different ways. At the same time to be Robocop, while also somehow try, try to respond the the needs that that it faces as it now is a franchise also for the kids. And the second big point that happens now is that it this franchise decision, it transforms Robocop from being a critique of the American pop culture and especially being a critique of the American archetypical violent maverick cop a la Dirty Harry into an archetype of a lone maverick cop. And you can kind of see this in, in Robocop 2 depending on what you're reading of what Robocop 2 is, is doing. Like, uh, doing the research for this episode, I started to run into this these readings of the movie that this, this was meant to be a knowing and acknowledging counterattack against what was happening in Robocop, the franchise, especially the, the toned-down children's animated series. Which was, and, and you know, as evidence for this, people has, have presented the overtly violent nature of, of Robocop 2. It's a hell of a violent film. We can disagree or discuss is it as violent as the first one, but Robocop 2 still, noticeable violent movie. And another big point that these people like to bring up is the inclusion of the child bad guy of the movie. Some, like Roger Ebert, have condemned this, situ uh, this decision, having a child bad guy, and have read it as, as a way to somehow intensitize and bring to the film, you know, the kids at home who will watch the movie from the VHS, to give them a character that they can uh, kind of project themselves on. Have a kid character in the movie so that the kids can say, hey, I'm a kid too, there's a kid character, I gotta connect. Others, on the other hand, or those who are in the camp that this is, Robocop 2 is an, is an attempt to course correct the franchise itself, have read the, the kid bad guy as a way to exactly show why Robocop should never be toned down. To them, the, the whole... Kid kind of showcases the, the franchise Robocop's weaknesses and why they shouldn't be tolerated. Can't shoot a kid now, can you, motherfucker? And shoots him in the face is completely despicable human being. And the whole dismantling of, of Murphy that happens in, in the film are kind of like... Uh, in, in this reading, those sequence moments are treated as evidence that this is the movie itself saying that we shouldn't pander to kids, and it's only a disaster, and Robocop should be able to shoot a kid in the goddamn face. Well, that, that was a lot of things to, to go over with. Um, so regarding bringing the kid into the film, I have absolutely zero problem with that whatsoever. We have seen similar situations. Of course, one point brought on by some YouTuber was that well, around the same time, we had Home Alone, which also contained violence brought, brought on by kids to another human beings. And somehow it's made into a huge problem in this movie. And I suppose it's because of he actually dies in the film. And uh, 
it probably makes a lot of sense when you put it into that context that they were trying to show why what, what are the consequences for for kids because when i started watching this film i definitely was of the mind when i was trying to read in advance what's going to happen in the film i know i've seen these movies probably like 20 years ago but didn't have a single single clue what's going to happen now so i was expecting the kid to obviously survive and then robocop to save the, save his day and he would go into some institution for some time but he would be okay and then he would feel a lot of remorse for his actions even though he's being a very lunacy induced piece of shit throughout the film yeah nope yeah but that doesn't happen i don't know what's wrong with the critics on this matter but anyway i thought it was kind of a breath of fresh air to bring something like this on the table and on the violence i don't really register the the violence in the film as much as i do in the first one could be that the violence really doesn't have any meaning in the second one as in like i said in the first one it's carried out with this satirical humor i don't know what the hell robocop 2 is doing but yeah there's violence there is and it it's ne- not necessarily as as much as there was in the first one like robocop first and the second one they both have for example blood sp- blood spatters that mm. does happen but the spatters are more squishier more juicy mm. in in the first one and arguably yeah there are more like in b- both movies have the moment when the next big ocp cop thing guns down an individual The first one has the boardroom scene with the Ed 209, which is like this whole messy spectacle. Million blood spatters happen. The, the second one has like the, the, the city of Detroit lawyer being shot in the back. You have blood spatters, yeah, but not nearly in the same extent. Yeah. Well, on, on the blood steps, like the first one ended with the acknowledgement that there is something human going on here or at least whatever we consider robocop to be remembers what he is he is murphy at least to him to it however you like it but right off the gate this film then throws that kind of into the trash bin where now he has to kind of deny his humanity again and be all coy driving past his wife's place so we're kind of back to zero here Although he might be re- still remembering everything as he evidently does, but yeah, a new problem in this front. Most definitely, yeah. And like, like you already said when we talk about the first one, that the, the, the plots, the plot is kind of all over the place. I didn't feel that in the first one, but in the second one, it most definitely is all over the place, and. The second one also is is the moment like we talked talked about that the identity of the franchise where you can still see the fra- uh, the identity but now you start to see the problems that these movies start to have with the identity like uh, I I still maintain that there is the critical satirical spin when it comes to to capitalism and when it comes to OCP. Like both films, the first one and and the second one, also the third one, 
kind of have, for, for example, they have the whole point how companies themselves can't feel. In, in the first film, Robocop passively threatens kids in, in his TV performance when, when the news team is, is interviewing him, when he says, stay out of trouble, which is, is a, like, like a roundabout statement, but it carries itself with a threat. Stay out of trouble. Or the way how he coldly ignores the, the victim of a rape attempt. The lady would need some type of psychological help following the attack and Robocop is just coldly like, I have alerted the services. And the second one, in, in the same vein, perhaps even, even more strikingly, it has the moment when Robocop 2 guns down a whole bunch of people and the old man of OCP is just like, you know, <clears throat> this could look like bad for us. That's the best spin team you can get. And with, with all, both of these actions, you have the, mo- the realization that companies can't actually feel. Companies often like to give you the impression of a feeling. They like to pretend that they, they speak your language. They say, share your, for example, humor. They, they share your worldview. And... If there is a thing you are passionate about, they are there with the barricades with you. You can actually see this in, in the way how corporations talk. Like, think about all those times that companies like McDonald's or Wendy's or some other has used memes in their twi- Twitter handles. Or uh, when they have had vicious back and forth of words and small insults. Wendy's has insulted McDonald's, etc., through Twitter, using memes. The, the language that you and I are supposed to share. It's an, it's an attempt to, to pretend that they talk like we talk, that they talk the memes that we talk. Or that really infamous protester Pepsi commercial, which came after the, the, the series of riots in the, in the United States. Or... Now, if you've seen the Finnish television, which has the, the real cringeworthy McDonald's commercial, which tries to talk the youth talk, be mm. brave, do whatever you want. Eat unhealthy burgers. Yeah. It basically is like an advertisement campaign for you to come to McDonald's to flip burgers. But they all try to masquerade the whole thing into, hey, you youth. Or, hey, you on the barricade. Hey, you with a social issue. Hey, you downtrodden gay people. And, yeah. of course, yeah, of course, the companies themselves, they can have inside of them individuals that do feel. Marky Mark from marketing can be really passionate about, for example, gay rights. He might be gay himself. And he might really be like, oh boy, we have to do something about how gay people are being treated. That, of course, could absolutely happen on an individual level. But the company itself can't side with you. It can't feel. It's kind of like, you know, the companies are non-human entities. So they can't have human human compassion and human, yeah. human feelings. The actor behind Ronald McDonald makeup can laugh and can cry. Ronald McDonald, the clown himself, can't do jack shit. That's a very good, very good point. At some point, when a company reaches a certain size, it kind of loses the emotion. It becomes kind of like a machine, as you kind of present it here. It becomes a kind of a machine. It's 
it's so large that you there is no not a, like a single brain driving it and it might be that it just loses its, its ethics on the way not necessarily because it then it then it intends to it's just the market logic it's also simply by the nature of of a company because as I already stated company is a non-entity entity mm. company is entity in in the sense of of ownership what tools of production it has what office space it has does it have a market share value it's in an entity in those sense but it's a non-human and the company itself is a non-human entity it can have humans working for it perhaps even running for it but mcdonald's without people is just a code entity yeah i bet when henry ford started ford he was thinking that oh yeah this is very much a human entity running this business but now he's long gone and ford is still running it just becomes this it was sometime back it was still human and now it's something of a non-entity and ford was never human no company is ever human <laughs> henry ford was human ford company was not mm-hmm. yeah but you get what i'm saying saying here that it, it, i i i, I yeah. get i get what you are saying yeah I'm but, just much more stricter in ever acknowledging a company as as an as a human or anything right. that can feel. But yeah, back back into back into the movies. Right, and like, uh, like I said, like I said, both films actually have this point. Even Robocop Three has this point that company itself can't feel. Yeah, but before I forget it completely, the you mentioned that I didn't see Robocop as a very co- cohesive plot-wise. That's not true. What I wanted to say is that there's a lot of different elements mishmashed into it. And yeah, it's not necessarily doing anything with it always, but it makes the movie also interesting to follow. But now we have Robocop 2. Not sure what to follow exactly for the most of the running time. And there's odd lulls in the film where we're just not observing really anything. We don't know what it wants to say. Not much. There are these random side characters that we're supposed to feel for just appear in the, the second installment. Yeah, and why this happens is actually quite difficult to say for certain. Yeah, well, it's a very odd movie in the sense that it doesn't have so much to say, and even though Robocop is, as, as a concept is like offering a million ways to score home. But no, like, for example, in my mind, why is it never discussing like the robocop technology replacing the the entire police force for example as that this it would be an kinda, easy point it kind of it it, it tries to kind of kind of but it, you, it has the robocop 2 in it well, which is supposed to be like some kind of follow-up to robocop and, yeah uh, but to expand yeah, it on it goes nowhere yeah, yeah. Yeah, not not to mention some of these um, the ethics of that and what it would mean for Detroit's e- economy or safety. I mean, these are touched upon kind of briefly and some small nuggets e- even in the first one. The, how how does the lack of empathy or human emotions play out in the choices of a Robocop making the choices that would have been interesting to go a little bit deeper in the second one already, or or can the equivalent of that? Empathy be built in as a code, something like that came to my mind. Or expanding 
the idea of cybernetic organisms from Robocop to all areas of life, like Alexa type of thing, and how it would affect the economy in Detroit, and whether Robocop would have to fight other robots. There's so much to pull, but the film just kind of sidelines Robocop for most of the movie. It, it- it sidelines Robocop for the most of the movie. Not just that, it also sidelines the titular Robocop 2 for most of the movie who doesn't show up, you know, up until the halfway point. Yeah. It also sidelines most of the plot lines that it once introduces. Like, not, not thematics, but actual plot lines. Like, oh, here's the scene with Murphy's wife. Nothing yeah. comes out of it. Oh, here's the scene where OCP for, forces Mercy, Murphy to denounce his humanity, but that goes nowhere. Oh, here's the scene where they dismantle Murphy. Well, he takes a short nap and, well, it doesn't mean anything. Oh, here's the scene where they screw up Murphy's programming, and after five agonizing minutes, Murphy just takes some chode, and we never mention that one again. Yeah. Oh, Kane is, a, Kane is supposed to be a messianic truck coach leader who... The cause is never actually show, shown, and once Kane becomes Robocop 2, well, his messianic self-identity is completely forgotten. He's just a metal man who wants drugs. Yeah, they disgrace the character of Robocop to the level that they put him completely to scrap pieces. And what do the fucking geniuses do? Well, they take him obviously to the precinct, the only hospital available for the guy. Good job. Well, that was well. Do they their their defense? That was supposed to be a message to the to the cops that they can even yeah, kill well. Robocop. They can kill kill everybody. The bigger problem here is that the actual moment means nothing. It means nothing. Robocop is out of the picture in in his own goddamn sequel for the longest time because of this. But he has been out of the picture for up you know countless amounts of minutes already, despite the dismantlement. And the dismantlement itself doesn't actually lead into anything. Once they put him back together, he's screwed up for five minutes. And then he's once again back to being Murphy. And what I want to know is, what is the purpose of the new drug in the film? I, I don't really... It's supposed to be some kind of a MacGuffin. But oddly, the real MacGuffin in the film is Robocop, which doesn't then develop into shit by the end of the film. The new new truck is there, yeah, but I don't. I doubt the audience is very interested in that. It doesn't really tie into any kind of a theme that I would care about. I can't really think of of, of like a purpose for that plot point. Really, why it's there? Robocop is kind of carrying the story into different places during the film, but then there's nothing really for Robocop to evolve into this in this film either. And no, Robocop basically just ends up proving that the, the first original model is better than, you know, the sequel model, and that's it. And also, you know, hey, you shouldn't put truck pusher user brain in the metal exoskeleton. <laughs> but why the whole clusterfuck actually exists? It's hard to say who exactly is to be blamed here, because the whole writing process of Robocop 2 is an absolute nightmare. And this is the moment when we have to finally talk about Frank Miller's script. <clears throat> Frank Miller, who famously had not originally seen the first Robocop, he got interested about writing the, the script to the sequel uh, like 
a week after finally see, seeing seeing the first movie. So this was not like a long time passion project for Miller. If something the you know by going by the by the evidence and and going by what what Miller wanted this was this is the time period when Frank Miller the comic book writer really wanted to have a Hollywood script writing career and I kind of get the strong feeling that Robocop 2 if not was more of a vehicle for Miller try to chase after you know becoming a Hollywood script writer than him being really passionate about Robocop and definitely yeah. wanting to take Robocop into some place. But at the same and time, I feel that he, uh, Kai, is supposed to have some kind of a passion for for this, and he seemed to be very passionate about you know trying different ideas and using some of the scrap that was cancelled for Robocop Two in the Robocop Three, the sequel. But none of it seems to have any 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 core that I would care about. But I I, I guess this is all about him at the end of the day, and then he pushes out these comic books that use his original script material that was left out so he could show what kind of a masterpieces he was writing sorry and having to having actually read the comics hmm. and that way you know more or less reading frank miller's original scripts for robocop 2 and robocop 3 i can say that the comics also are a hot mess right they have way more plot robocop 2 the script has way more plot and has Robocop to the film. And that's because of the, the comic itself, or Robocop 2 script, it's a combination of so many plot lines. The script that Frank Miller wrote basically has the plot lines of the movies 2 and 3. The, the script alone has the point of, of Kane, the Robocop 2, uh, it has... The, the concept of OCP forcefully evicting people from their whole homes, the, the whole that comes into play in the, in the third film, it has the, the rehab thing from the th uh, third film, it has the, the Otomo and the, the Japanese company thing from the, the third film. Basically, it has, has like a. It didn't have the Japanese co corporation, no. Not in the Robocop 2 script, but everything else it does have. It's overstuffed. And even in the script format, at least, you know, as a, as a comic, it doesn't really flow that well. And something to really kind of drive my nut here is the fact that you kind of, you, you have to know that Frank Miller as a comic book writer is one-time genius who has written like some of the absolute masterpieces. Of comic book fiction. Uh, Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, the first Sin Cities. Mm. Like, I absolutely love those. At the same time, Frank Miller is also quite problematic, rather in the sense that Frank Miller is someone who really likes to do his politics. And his politics can, can kind of sway. They, they can be, you fucking scummy leftists, like it's in, in Robocop 2, Murphy gets screwed up because there is all these commands about how he should hug the threes and care about the environment, etc, 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 put into his goddamn head. Kind of works because those, those are the OCP heads that decide that those have to be put into him, not like the citizenry from the streets. But you get the uh, message still in Robocop 2. You get the message. 
Miller does not like the three hawking leftist liberals. They ruined a perfectly good thing and mess up Robocop. That's the one end. And then there is the other end, which shows through in Miller's comics like Holy General, which is openly racist. Oof. And Miller, by God, like, if if we are kind of like, you know, two ways about is Werhoven a political director, I say he kind of is, you say he is not. We can't have this disagreement when, with Miller. His politics are in your face. They are already in your face in, in the film Robocop 2. They most definitely are in your face and up your ass in, in Robocop, uh, in the scripts of, right. of Robocop 2 and 3. It's a, it's all like a whole goddamn mess. Right. So maybe we can have some mercy on the producers on this one that they made some changes. I, I, I think that I, I don't believe that anybody intentionally made a bad film. I, I don't even think that Robocop 2 is that bad of a movie. I actually quite enjoy it. But even to people who, who don't like it, like you don't like Robocop 2, it's completely fine. I don't think that anybody intentionally made a bad film. I'm not saying that director no. intentionally fucked up. I believe that everybody wanted to make the best possible film they can get, but it's it's a, like the, the script is a mess. What yeah. Miller provided them is a is a huge mess. Even if Miller was not intentionally creating a mess, that's what he ended up creating. I'm actually like usually in this podcast, you and I we we take the side of the scriptwriter or the director and we are like mm, evil producers. How dare you touch the masterpiece? Mm. In that case, I'm actually siding with the production company. Right. Right. Yeah, well, it was a very problematic movie, and I'm sure many people really wanted to come from the right place, and we're coming from the right place, but the end result is uh, probably a mixture of the, the writer's strike, as for one, not having enough time to put things together, and then firing the original screenwriter, then the next guy kind of picking up the pieces, and just overall having a pretty chaotic, and yet again, another annoying um, shooting so it was a mess and and it was supposed to come out earlier I believe uh, for for Christmas but it was pushed back and they still couldn't make a masterpiece yeah it's it's not a masterpiece and it's not nearly as good as as the first film was but yeah. I, I stay adamant that it's pretty good sequel still it does have elements that I don't like Thing, themes I don't like. I and and themes that I, in my opinion, does not work. Yeah. Um, Miller hating the three hawkers obviously rubs me the wrong way. I do like the idea that the cops are on strike because OCP is is driving their their taking over their their, their pensions and driving their their wages so low that they have no option. And I like the idea that OCP is knowingly doing this in order to bankrupt. The, the city of Detroit and forcefully, you know, take ownership of Detroit's assets. It's a really good plot point. On the other hand, I don't kind of like the fact that, well, Murphy and Lewis are not just two cops here, they are also strike breakers. And with Murphy, I can understand, like, Murphy can't fight against his programming, but, but Lewis also decides that he's not going to join the cops on the strike. It's kind of like, what the fuck now? Well... If we want to discuss a little bit about the part three, this is where we continue with the 
with the kitty aspect even more we have a, a kid actor actor actress in a kind of a major role in this film as well directed by fred decker also as as a goddamn good guy so why with robocop 2 we can we can you know discuss was the kid there as some type of a statement about the course of the franchise was it there just because you know having a kid bad guys edgy or was he there you know in order to win the kids in the audience you know on on, on your film's side whatever whatever was the reason in robocop 2 in robocop 3 there is no question about it the goddamn kid here is to provide a proxy to the younger audiences. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that is being meant for the whole family, where first and second perhaps were too violent and too dark. This is supposed to be a whole family feature, and and it has a kid sidekick for the children in the audience. Well, they were and not. I absolutely hated. Right. I don't think they were too dark the first two films they were just too not targeting kids not not available for kids not supposed to be watched by kids but this is trying to target the kids and uh, it's the first pg-13 robocop received very negatively by the reviews from the critics and they, yeah. they this time they also added more some of that quirky humor from the first robocop but the problem is it's kind of badly written and there's an, part of the problem of the exit of several main stars. Peter Weller is no more there. Dan O'Hurley is not there. Where where to begin? That's that, that's actually not the the biggest problem. It's just the writing. Uh, writing is a problem, and writing is a problem. We already mentioned Frank Miller's scripts. Well, they do a comeback here. Yeah. He also tries to write Robocop Three. And like I already mentioned, uh, Robocop 3's, the, the movie's plot is second half of, of Miller's script for Robocop 2. This is now the, the rehab show up and, and the forceful eviction, etc, etc, etc. All of that. What Miller was writing was an honest to God sequel to his script of Robocop 2. At the, at the end of, of Robocop 2, uh, Robocop is fra- being framed for being a criminal, and in in his script for Robocop 3, Miller has Robocop on the run, living off the grid, basically being the Batman. Like the, the story itself starts with two OCP-owned cops harassing and trying to torture uh, a hooker, a street hooker, and then mysterious shadowy figure attacks them and pulls them through the walls and does all, all, all mysterious stuff disappears into the shadows. The hooker looks uh, looks around in astonishment. What type of a force could have done that? Hmm. It's it's basic Batman stuff. <laughs> what he's writing, and from there we get into uh, some of the points that are present in in also the film Robocop Three. Uh, what the what script and the movie of Robocop 3 share? They share the, the Japanese corporation, they see it, uh, share the, the Otomo unit, the Samurai Cyborg, they share the, the downfall of OCP and OCP being bankru- going bankrupt. Right. But yeah, 
it's it's a mess. Uh, the Frank Miller script is a mess, and also the the filming script of Robocop Three, the movie, is a huge mess. Yeah. While we really get the point nailed down with some of these characters, what kind of characters they are, when there is this uh, guy who is pestering the doctor at any given point with comments like sweet cheeks, babe, you own your cute little ass and doll face. I suppose, is that Miller's writing? Uh, it's not directly Miller's writing, but it stems from Miller's writing. Miller had the same notion of sexualizing the, the women in the workplace. Miller just was even more poisonous. Oof. In, in his stance. Also, the the whole Robocop 2's evil science lady aspect was, was something that stemmed from Miller, with the difference that Robocop 3, if I remember correctly, script, it doesn't even have a nice science lady in it. Hey, <laughs> wait, no, it, it has. It has a hacker science lady in it who studied Murphy in, in some university and now is an underground of the grid hacker. OCP mm. never has a kind-hearted female scientist in its ranks. Every female who works for, for OCP is an absolute complete shitbag, constantly being sexualized by the men around her. Right. Uh, I'm just thinking about the character of Robocop now and how how he's dealt with this in these movies. There's a company OCP, OCP, which does sound like what does it come from again? Omni Consumer Products. It sounds like a vegetable blender company, which is kind of is, I guess, if you're talking about robots. But anyway, the way that they deal with this character, that OCP wants to create this this perfect cop serving the people. But then we get to the problem of an incorruptible cop as a concept, which is extremely fascinating. At least the remake tries it kind of discuss this to a degree, but would a political system really want a non-corruptible cop? Because it would then challenge the, the corrupted police force or the corrupt political system, de facto corrupted political poli political system, they would run into troubles. They would. And I, I would say that no political system would want completely incorruptible cop. Right. It's a it's a nice idea. It kinda depends on or purpose it kinda depends on how your political system actually works, like how long you can stay in power. As long as you are in power, you don't want incorruptible cop because you want the cop to be corruptible just in case that while you are at power, you actually do something. But mm. if you are in a, if, if the system is the way that you are forced to lose the power at some point and return to be back, you know, average citizen, in that case, perhaps you would still want it. Because as a citizen, the incorruptible cop could actually be a valued asset for you. Well, apparently, Robocop has the effect of people jumping off buildings and then somebody inside that building calling these people chicken shits. It, it would have been funnier, though, if the guy who called these people chicken shit would have considered using the gun as he suggested to the chicken shits. But then, instead of doing that, would have jumped off the building as well. Missed opportunity. 
that would have been the first RoboCop spirit for you, I I would say. I yeah, that would have would have. I I still do think that on occasion this actually manages to capture the the original RoboCop's spirit in a way. It does not shine through really, thanks to the whole fact that you know bunch of PG thirteen is happening. But there are interesting nuggets here too. Like in, in Robocop 3, the first thing that I, I like, and there are things that I like, and, you know, let's have them out in the open. Like, fair is fair. If if film does, even, even though if the film is a piece of shit, if it does something proper, you know, it deserves to be respected for it. But the first thing that I, I do think that is in keeping with the first film's tone is the whole plan of OCP forcefully evicting people and, then, and also lying people about the evictions. And also that the fact that it uses the, the whole rehab unit, which in my opinion is not bad critique of, of police militarization with their armors be, being like, you know, gladiator armors from, from the ancient Athens. And their whole nature of being mercenaries. Them becoming from, uh, what was it? I don't remember what battlefield they come from. You know, the the Battle of Greeks or whatever it was mm. that they have been been for, or fighting previously and now they are just being, you know, just taken from there and just willy-nilly brought into Detroit to basically police the situation. I think that that's, when it comes to, you know, having something to say about police militarization, not a pretty a bad thing. And also the visual metaphor with, with the rehab higher-ups the commanders who were the, the long SS-esque overcoats, which is such a, a, a strong visual metaphor that Verhoeven himself la- arrived at the same solution with his film Starship Troopers. So that's good. I also like very much the fact that, as the film points out, and now this is like if you have like an arc of OCP storyline that would go through the previous film. Now we are in, at the fall of OCP, and I like the point that OCP does not fall thanks to Murphy and Lewis and the rest of the cops. Like, OCP's troubles are not because of, of a corruption investigation, or because they, the cops are looking into anything that happened in Robocop 2, or anything else, but it's OCP falls Thanks to simply, you know, shitty profit margins and, and their merger with another corporate conglomerate. That, I, I think, is a, is a nice touch. Well, um, I'm not sure how believable the whole theme of a private company taking over an entire city and its functions would be. Perhaps there are plenty of examples of such happening in real life. Are you aware of anything like this, or is just... Well, not necessarily private company yet. But take a look at the, you know, actual Detroit. Right, yeah. Which today is no longer being run by, you know, publicly selected officials. It It's run by an appointee, by the mayor. The mayor itself has less power than the bloody appointee which was given, you know, to Detroit after Detroit, the city, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So there we have a city that is 
not run by anyone that the public chose. Uh, well, at least I guess de facto not run on paper, perhaps run, not run by one company, run by perhaps several companies. And it seems that the development of Detroit has begun, like the rebuilding of the city and its economy, but it's still very selective. In the center of the city, you might be finding some rejuvenation, but everywhere else I hear that the situation is still... It's it's not very desirable, no. And it might take several years, tens of years, before we are anywhere relating to normal. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like an expert on the situation of modern-day Detroit, but everything I've heard is is that the de facto leader, which, okay, has actually been able to make some progress in Detroit, but it, it still has been ex- extremely, let's say, problematic mm. and there are quite a lot of opinions about about the de facto leader and about what he has done for the city and i'm sure that the the way the capitalism is done in the u.s is not really helping detroit's situation everything is up for grabs right yeah uh, everything has been up for grabs for quite some time it it kind of is is why Detroit itself for fell in the first place. Mm. So, Detroit Red Wings, you have some things to do here. Well, <laughs> revive the economy. Yeah. Win the Stanley Cup 10 times in a row. Okay, but um yeah, that's it. We have a lot of misogyny. We have going to be this I believe in 93 already seen as a very tired cliche of representing representing minorities or different ethnic groups introducing them with this shall i say oriental music whenever there are japanese people popping by well not just that but also the fact that you know of course the asian cyborg is some kind of katana building of course of course. What do you expect? Naturally. And and it has its own dojo where it hangs around, even though it's a cyborg. Yeah, with this very, very plasticky faces. Really freaky props, but plasticky. Talking of the special effects of this film, I feel that they are a, l- a little step behind here. Could be that they're kind of saving dollars. We have 1993 here which is the year of Jurassic Park. We had 1991, we already had Terminator 2. And this film, surprisingly perhaps, still relies heavily on stop motion, albeit done well, and kind of shitty back projections. Yeah, it's it's surprising it's not surprising. Like, this time period also, not just the fall of OCP, but also the fall of the production company Orion which was a prominent production company. This is the same house that uh, at the time also gave us Terminators. Right. So it, it it started small, it became big, it absolutely went shit. And something that was behind, you know, the whole destruction of, of Orion was putting a whole bunch of cash and, and Counting your cards on on some intellectual properties, Robocop being amongst the one one of the few that Orion chose that these will actually save us. We will build our future 
on this franchise. It helps to understand why the whole franchise spreading of Robocop happened in the first place. Orion tried to really hard drive the Robocop cow. And at the Robocop 3 stage, we are kind of a, we approach into a curious time. When Orion is in financial difficulties, but at the same time it still tries to save itself by sticking to the plan of, for example, using Robocop. So we have like a hopes for a big meal ticket here. At the same time that I feel we are also witnessing budget cuts. One of these examples of astonishing, astonishing failures when you have franchises or, well, at the point of those times. Well, not a franchise really, We, but Orion pushed out the original Terminator. You have movies like that. You have the original Robocop and then you file bankruptcy. That's shocking that <laughs> you don't put the eggs in the same basket. Yeah. And then again, that's not the only thing that's shocking here. But it's also shocking with Robocop 3 is exactly how hard it tries to fight. Or, like I said, in Robocop 2 onwards, we are seeing the franchise trying to find a way to uphold its identity while at the same time trying to figure out a way to have that identity while dealing with the whole you are supposed to be a franchise thing for the whole family now. Robocop 2 Two, in my opinion, somewhat still manages to pull this stunt off, but Robocop 3 does not. And that leads, leads into, like, constructional problems with the film. Like, you have two movies. You have, like, like instances where you realize that Robocop tries to be a Robocop movie, a violent piece of action cinema, and at the same time it tries to stay PG-13. Like, you have the... the end of like you have a whole bunch of things here you you have uh, robocop having to fight fight the automo units but the script kind of can't figure out how robocop can win an agile mobile samurai unit since robocop himself is kind of clumsy the end result have the kids stand in to hack hack the automo at the final fight then the film kind of realizes that, oh, oh, shit, hey, yeah, um, we have to somehow give Robocop still something to do, because it's his movie, his name is on the title, Robocop. <laughs> so uh, perhaps he can take down the, the rehab commander, but he can't really hurt the rehab commander because PG-13. Well, Robocop still kind of remembers that it has to have some violence in it, so it tries to Play, uh, play an ill, like, uh, it try, tries to play a trick with your eyes. It tries mm. to give you the idea that violence is happening while not showing anything. So at the end of the film, Robocop 3 supposedly uses the, the, the jetpack to burn the rehab officer's legs, but it can't show you anything. And then it alludes back into, you know, him having to crawl on the floor trying to stop the, the explosion from happening uh, with his with his burnt out legs, none of that is actually believable. It it tries to to hint that violence is happening while it can't show you violence. It tries to ha give Murphy things to do while nothing in the w film works. is is too agile. Is too fast for actually Murphy having a chance to react to it. Right. Some Christian publication was criticizing the reaction and the 
their positive positive response to the first RoboCop, saying something along the lines of, "People are really gravitating towards the gore, but zero on the subs- substance." Well, I would say that there was the substance and there was the gore. What RoboCop Three has now, well, it takes away the gore. It could still be a great movie if it would do something else, but now there's no gore. There's no substance either. Um, yeah, I I do still think that Robocop 3 has some critique, and why it has some of that I I find quite enjoyable. I like that the OCP falls down. I like the fact that much like in in Japan, when the business resistant hate people were jumping out of the windows, so the OCP guys are also jumping from the windows. I, I like the, the rehab concept. I like the that we are going forcefully evicting people from their homes concept. Like I, I think those are nice nice ideas. But the the entirety of the film just does not come together. And it's not the problem is not just that they cut out the violence. Like you can still have a PG thirteen film that kinda tricks you into believing that it's more violent than it is not. But RoboCop 3 just does not know how to do it. RoboCop 3 does a bunch of silly stupid things, but on the overall, I'm a bit surprised about the so wholeheartedly negative reaction and attack towards RoboCop 3, because Al Play says it almost manages to be a better movie than the, than the second one. It's he, that's that's a statement that is absolutely false. It nowhere it comes no point does it go anywhere near Robocop two. Interesting. But I would say that I didn't find much worthwhile in both of these movies. Robocop three might be having a little more variety and things to do, whereas Robocop two can't even satisfy in the action department for most of the time. But talking about disappointments, I guess our next stop would be the 2014 remake. Yeah. Yeah, the film that kind of tries to, to modernize Robocop. <laughs> the, the whole thing perhaps tries to be... Tries to be it, the remake is, is a curious in, in the sense that... Like I, I, I said previously, the, the first three things, they movies, they act at least have some elements of, of satirically criticizing capitalism. And now Robocop the remake tries to do a bit of the same. It tries to criticize the society. It tries to criticize capitalism. And it's completely forget, forgotten the whole satire aspect of it. It has. But is that a bad thing in itself? At least this film is discussing more than any of these movies like in your face discussing a lot of aspects that weren't necessarily worded out in the and weren't worded out in the previous movies so that makes it, it kind of a different and interesting in its ponderings but your thoughts i i i don't i don't object to what what robocop 2014 is is doing like when it comes to rem- I, I i don't venomously object to remakes you want to do a remake, okay, have a go. Usually they don't work, but have a go. And if you're doing a remake, you have kind of a two choices you can do. You can do a 
just remake the original at which point at which point everybody's going to ask what what's the point why don't we just watch the original this is shot for shot almost or you can try to take the some ideas like core ideas and do something different with it robocop 2014 takes the core ideas and tries to do something different with it and i do appreciate the film for for choosing this route well done and i do like the aspects where this movie focuses on the, the question of of robocop's identity a, a huge part of of the movie is is looking into how robocop is being made and how robocop's identity and emotions are being controlled and I kind of do like the fact that this movie is the one that looks into the existential crisis of, of Robocop being a Robocop. The previous movies look in, into the existential, existential crisis of Robocop being a cop. Like how can a programmable co- police officer, does he have a free will, does he, have, does he does have not? And how can that guy operate as a police? This one actually looks into the question, what would being a Robocop mean for the man Murphy? His family, his, his yeah. kids, you know, you, you name it. I like that. Good angle, how... Ever. Oh my god, I can't stand the fo- 2014 remake. Okay, I guess we'll get into that. So, you were at one point saying about what is the point? What is the point if you're not bringing enough on the table? The point where, uh, during the film, when I asked myself, what is the point of this film if the new Robocop doesn't really make the decisions in combat as a person on any level... He just thinks he does. It's like the illusion of free will. <laughs> kind of new spin put on the illusion of free will in this movie, I suppose. And so it kind of makes me look at this character and say, okay, this is an automated machine. What is the point of following this action? Especially when it's so... The, the way that the action is depicted is just so boring to look at when you compare it to the originals where you can easily follow the action and there are stakes to some of the characters and yeah there's a different visceral feeling to all of the action now it's just some random robots here and there left and right up and down it's like a video game with no point and that's one point there's a lot of dumb shit in this film but let's leave it at that for now Actually, you mentioning that the whole the, there was no free will aspect. It's much more bigger problem for this film. It's a tonal problem, and it leads into a constructual problem. The, there, like the, you, yeah, yeah. Like you said, the action is boring, yeah. and the action is is boring. It's it's not just like at times the action is is shot boring also. Yeah. Like the, the shoot of action is not really interesting. But the whole free will aspect, and this gets tricky. I really like the topic mm. and the discussion that the film has about them taking the the free will out of Murphy. I, I like the idea. I like that they have it. I like the, I, the fact that they talk about it. But... But... But here, here, here we come into into some some of the script writing. 
territory. It takes the excitement out of the action. Yes. Completely. Because the point is, when the, the whole idea that when the visor comes down and Murphy's mind goes to sleep and it's programming, driving, driving Murphy and Murphy just believes he's in control. It also means that Murphy himself is not performing the action. It's just the programming. He's, he's no longer Murphy the man in RoboCop. It's just like a machine. And at that point, the question who wins the fight simply becomes the question of what is the latest latest machine? What is the best machine? Which machine is the most agile? Which has firepower? Which has armor? Which has the best sensors to react? It's basically like you have two toasters against each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like that the winner is the, the the one that is better model as a toaster. Yeah, that's that's my problem because we are not anymore at that point really following a RoboCop. What we are following is just a robo against robo kind of battle just with a man inside that kind of a robo costume, but at the end of the day it's just a toaster versus toaster as you said yeah. it. And then the complete confusion in the beginning about the identity of the new RoboCop. Is he just a human who is put into a machine and he therefore can, you know, risk more because he has an armor and has these big guns and uh, probably something, as we see, can be implanted in, into his brain and his memory, just uploaded there. Okay, that's cool. But in the beginning, we clearly are given the message that, oh, okay, okay, okay it seems like this is just an ordinary police guy put into this harness uh, but then something happens to him suddenly he's starting to act like a robot we don't exactly know what the hell is going on but that's the point where he starts to be more robot and that kind of uh, confuses me they drive mechanically drive down like the chemicals in his brains that yeah. feed into emotions yeah but that i felt was a problem that we don't know what is the identity right off the gate uh, to me, that was not the, the the really the problem. I had more of a problem with the fact that, well, like we all know that in every action movie, the hero is going to win the bad guy, mm. and and the whole whole trick of action being exciting for you is is kind of it it stems from the fact that the movie kind of creates threatening situations, and even though you know that James Bond is gonna win the bad guy at the end of a film. It it kind of creates a how is James gonna James Bond gonna survive this situation? This looks really bad. How is going to pull them off? And that's supposed to give you the excitement. But with 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 RoboCop, RoboCop is automatically going to win all the fights because he is the latest model and he's the most agile one. And the film kind of even understands this as it has the, the iconic Ed two o nine fight from from the first film, but. Here, because it's not a man versus machine, it's just a like model versus model, and Murphy is the latest, and he's the most agile one, the film has to kind of compensate by having this fight now play off with Murphy against several Ed 209s. Right. And we never come back to this theme and this dilemma that he's actually just a, just, just a robot really automatically killing people. No, we but we we mysteriously we almost start with this th theme because that the movie can't have like exciting action even with Murphy 
even before he becomes a Robocop. Like the film's most exciting action sequence, in my opinion, is, is uh, the opening action set piece in Tehran. Mm. It, it's, it's the one that has you most by the pants. But Tehran is a location uh, that is, and as a scene, is completely removed for, for Murphy. It's some type of a military raid in, in Tehran, military inspection in Tehran. Murphy is not there. So Murphy is not being threatened in Tehran. The, and that is being followed by an action sequence with Murphy, now still flesh and blo- blood human cop, which is there, the restaurant shootout, which as the film states out, is a flashback. Murphy is actually telling his, his commander how the shootout play, played out. So we automatically already know that Murphy is going to make it out of the shootout without a scratch, since we saw him without a scratch when he walks, you know, to his commander to tell you how the shootout played out. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like, you know, like clinically made, like tailor-made. Right. It's been taken into a cutting room floor and put under the knife, and they have tried to remove all the excitement. Yeah, you know, uh, Alex is just a passenger, just along on the right. Yeah. Fine. But some interesting questions or something more of a deep drill into some of these topics that have been already established before. And that's a lot what the movie is doing, just repeating and kind of rehashing a lot of the things that we've seen in the previous three original films. But, for example, this combining crime database into a robot plus human combo that might actually be a preferable setup when you want to target criminals instead of allowing simply an AI to make the decision on, on whether a person has been correctly identified or not. I believe it's also in this movie where there is this rather awkward, dumb moment where one of the OCP representatives completely freezes when the reporter is asking him, like, what, but he doesn't feel anything, right? Yeah, he doesn't feel anything. He doesn't, cannot feel empathy. So fucking what? Uh, is this the level of preparation for this kind of an interview? This would be so easy to handle. For example, the safety aspect. And where do you... And what is empathy? He should be prepared to discuss this kind of a deep points with. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, it kind of is... Yeah. Again, I kind of can also understand where the film is trying to go with it. Um, like... Something to note here, uh, in 2014 remake, uh, this, this is the kind, the kindest Omnicorp that we have. Omnicorp really is not that evil, or at least malicious, for most of the time in 2014 remake. There's the, the, the whole ending of the movie, which is a huge, confusing mess, it makes no goddamn sense. But up until that point, Omnicorp really is not a bad guy. And its CEO here, Raymond Sears, is, is not like an evil corporate entity. He's more like a Stephen Jobs type of a engineering genius who is just super interested about all these possibilities. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, I, I get the idea that they, they want to play out Sears' enthusiasm on the technical field. And in and because of that, they downplayed play his capabilities as a repre- representative of the corporation. 
And because of that, you you get these moments where you know he's one upped but in in questioning and and he freezes and he doesn't have the right answer. The second obvious obvious point here also is the fact that the film kind of really can't truly side with you know Sears creating RoboCop, which I would say is a symptom of well once again this being an American film because Americans have this almost fetishized devotion to the idea of individuality and, and personal freedom. Robocop 2014 is not the only movie where I see the problem. The, 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 the same problem also rises its head, for example, in, in Ghost in the Shell, where because individuality and free will is so sacred and so holy to the Americans, Ghost in the Shell re- <laughs> live-action remake had to make repeatedly the point of, you know, somebody pointing out that Scarlett Johansson is more than his ghost. It's more than what he, what she is. There's soul or something inside of her. And I do think that it's the the same problem that we are seeing here. In Hero, the end result just is that Raymond Sears freezes in critical questions and appears to be somehow surprisingly unprepared for questioning. Hmm. Well... We have Samuel L. Jackson here as the character of Pat Novak, who sees... Yeah, one of the most miscast Samuel L. Jackson appearances that I know. I have no idea why he's here, but yeah, he's... Well, because Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. L. Jackson raging on about his support towards the the AI Robocop, but then ends the film by raging at the wrong person, the doctor, who actually tried to save the day here. Well, yeah, but the doctor is a standing for Chelsea Manning and, and like Edward Snowden. So, of course, Pat Novak is going to, to rage against him. It was a so confusing ending for his character. Uh, how come? It was completely keeping in with his character. Well, first of all, he, he has such of a boner going on for this new tech that he is not listening to any criticism, it seems, to any direction regarding these Robocops. And at the end of the day, all he can do is just crucify the only guy who was trying to actually help this <laughs> this technology to get anywhere. So a complete jackass move. And that's the note we end with. I suppose there's a very good reason for that. But Well, like to tackle that, what Jackson here is supposed to be... And this is why I th- think he's being miscast. He's supposed to be kind of a, like Alex Jones, Infowars kind of guy. And the first obvious problem here is that Samuel Jackson is way too cool and way too collected as an individual to ever reach Alex Jones levels of crazy. But he's supposed to be the Alex Jones stand-in. Basically here to, to forcefully fe- feed you the, the movie's point that... You know, it's about drone warfare, and Jackson is here to cram it down your throat. So, with this Alex Jones personality, it kind of actually stays, is is keeping in line with his character that he does not care about the fact that did the doctor in the end was he right when he conf- like gave his testimony to the Congress or the or the Senate. Or was, but did the doctor in the end save the day? Like, none of those points matter to Novak. 
his his Alex Jones craziness only sees his own side, which is you know, drones. I mean, robots are good. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very much like you you and I you and I can could can have a discussion about was Chelsea Manning in the right when when she leaked the, the footage about the drone bombings or what it was Edward Snowden in the right when when he made 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 his leaks but Alex Jones could never actually participate in that conversation it's always going to be locked on one side and as as Alex Jones so is Novak first i got no alex jones vibes whatsoever i did not he's obviously supposed to be that or, or or you know fox news you name it like like that whole mouth foaming that he's trying to do but can't quite pull it off because his uh, samuel jackson is just way too cool he's way too cool and he's kind of way too convincing in in the message that he is sending perhaps or maybe that would be a good thing but he is Samuel L. Jackson and if that was indeed what they were looking for he's completely miscast and I, I missed, missed that point but then what is that supposed to say like at the end of the day is that communicating to us that well there was this big vote in the senate are we gonna go with the robos or not and is this Alex Jonesiness then kind of linking into that that yeah, humans are full of these foolish emotions, so much so that they fucking can't tell what actually happened, what is the reality of the situation, and they're just clinching from one rumor to the next, and uh, nobody knows what the fuck to do. It's some, some kind of a statement about the, the idiocy of public opinion. Yeah, it's supposed to be an uh, you know statement about the idiocy of, of the public opinion, it's supposed to like like but this is the movie that tries to have a two-sided conversation. Hmm. The previous movies in the franchise have which have been targeting capitalism have been like capitalism bad and Omnicore bad, but this one tries to be the nuanced modern take. So it tries to have arguments from both sides. You have the doctor and you have basically everything that happens to Murphy and by Murphy in the movie and on the other side you have Pat Novak here asking why on earth is Americans not on board with drone strikes I I mean robots I think it would have been making a better point with the whole Alex Jones team if it would have been more undercrowdish more of a YouTube studio type of setup instead of this high tech studio that he has yeah, but then again, it's not supposed to be super directly Alex Jones. This is supposed to be right. like like right. Alex Jones should ask Fox News. Right. Gotcha. That's also why he can't like wear a literal folio hat in in any moment in the film. Also because you know that could rob some impactfulness out of you know what is supposed to be a serious question. Why is America not fully on board with drones? Right, but can we discuss the anti-disabled people theme of this movie? There's this one military officer asshole who just meets Alex just basically when he's been put into the suit and he's acting completely human. He's, he's basically human as far as I'm concerned at that point. And he's being treated 
like absolute trash. Not even he doesn't want to put him in the context of he. He wants to talk of him as it and all of these nasty words that he's spouting. Basically, this guy is is anti-disabled people, in my opinion, at that point. Yeah, he is. He's perhaps also anti-cop. Um, what we are talking about is James Earl Haley's character Maddox yeah. from the film. And Maddox as a character, he's supposed to be... Well, first of all, he's supposed to be kind of a Dick Jones standing here. Like, in, in the first film, the Dick, jo- Dick Jones had a huge problem with Robocop, not simply because Dick Jones was driving at 209, but also because Dick Jones saw Robocop as an kind of a... It was too dark for Dick Jones. He hated the idea. He called Robocop a monstrosity. That's how, how he, he saw, saw Robocop. So Maddox partly is supposed to be that. He's also mm. supposed to be someone who believes into, you know, just he's supposed to be uh, fully on Pat Novak's side. Drones, good, good, good. We need more drones. And anything that is not a drone is waste waste of time. And on top of that, Maddox is kind of supposed to be the, the, like the only really bad guy <laughs> antagonist like a villain that this film has because this film actually does not have a bad guy it, mm. or it, it, it has bad guys but it doesn't really have a villain it doesn't have like a the first film's Clarence Bodiker no it tries to have that with with the drug kingpin villain who is supposed to take Bodiker's place but the, that dude is so goddamn non-entity in this movie and he's dealt with it so quickly that he good if counts as a target practice for for RoboCop, and we are supposed to have like like at the end of the film we have the the Raymond Sears betrayal of of Murphy when Sears all of a sudden just decides that no I'm gonna kill RoboCop for no reason at all. It's it's and so, then all of all of a yeah. sudden he's like pulls a gun on on. Murphy's wife and child is like, what's going to do now, smart guy? Exactly. This uh, complete 180 twist or, or change of the, the character who, who kind of tries to do the at least some kind of a right thing at some points and and drive this so-called product into completion and then wants to suddenly just get rid of it, destroy it, and is threatening innocent people <laughs> like complete yeah. villain. And in my opinion, these are all problems of the film acknowledging that it really doesn't have Clarence Bodiker and it really doesn't have Dick Jones. It really does not have an antagonist mm. or, a, or a strong villain in there. It tries to create them afterwards, but the film spends too much time in, in Murphy having practice simulations and then it makes Murphy too powerful so average k- drug kingpin can't be the bad guy because Murphy immediately wins him, and it does not want to go deep in, in enough into you know criticizing OCP or capitalism is bad. So it can't be Raymond Sears. The film is constantly like grasping at straws. Where can where can we find a bad guy? Where we can find a villain? Yeah. And because there is nothing for it to grasp. The, the final moment is, you know, 
let's, hell, let's just try to use Mattox. Yeah. Mattox constantly does completely illogical things throughout the movie just in order to be a bad guy. Like you pointed out, he antagonizes Murphy from the get-go. There's no reason for that. It's completely uncalled for, but hey, has to do some villain shit. Later on, when Murphy is, is arresting his commanding officer for being corrupt, Maddox shuts Murphy down for no apparent reason. Uh, it doesn't even lead into the corruption being like covered up because Pat Novak next brings it up in his Novak report. Yeah, the whole Spears thing feels like a complete afterthought at the rooftop. And then this point about trying to arrest the, the police precinct leader, is she that that would have been already interesting by itself. You don't necessarily need a de, de facto like a bad, bad guy, but just the powers that be and then Robocop go going against this 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 corruption in in the police force that would have been really interesting it it would have had the film not made Robocop so goddamn omnipotent we are dealing with the same problem that we are dealing with the action sequences yeah. where Robocop being so goddamn robot all the goddamn time leads into not excitement being in the action. There is also, it leads into a situation where there is no plot for Robocop to tackle. Robocop solves his own attempted murder by using computer magic in 10 minutes. This includes solving how he was bombed, who ordered the bombing, who did the bombing, the whole police corruption angle, and also arresting the, the main Tracking being fallen. All of this is, is resolved in, in something like 10 or 50 minutes. Because there's just too much robot and too much technological magic in, in Robocop. So of course, you know, Sears have to be has to make a heel turn at the end of the film. Hmm. You know, because you have to do OCP has to be bad guy somehow. And of course Mattox has to antagonize Murphy and be a complete dickbag because you know the film does not have enough bad guys. And at the end of the day, even Robocop goes against his own programming, I suppose, as he manages to shoot Spears to death anyway. Yeah, uh, this is something that, like, once again, to talk about the, the plots going, like, forward, backward, sideways, do, uh, sideways doing loopy loops, but dealing with the same, same subject matter, this is not the first time that Robocop has rewritten his own programming. He did that in Robocop 2 by taking like 500,000 jolts up his ass. And then he does it again in Robocop 3 simply by choosing to rewrite his own commands when he decides to become a resistance fighter. We, we have the same thing happening here. Mm. Robocop rewrites his own programming because Sears is a dumbass and pulls a gun on his wife and his kid. Right. It's, it's supposed to feed into, once again, in, into the whole, like, Americans really valuating individuality and free will aspect. This is something where, where you know, the fact that Verhoeven directed the first film and he's a bloody Dutch comes into play. Because Verhoeven was not so hang up on the idea that Murphy has to be a free individual. 
Verhoeven was okay with the fact that okay, yeah, Murphy regains his identity, he knows he's Murphy, but he's still programmed to operate. But the rest of the, the, the productions, the sequels, the remake, which are American-made, they just can't go into that level of darkness. Murphy's individuality has to has must always triumph over OCP programming and his own metallic nature. Yeah, yeah. And I don't really support this kind of um, statements that are made by the subsequent films. Because it kind of goes also against what, what I believe to understand about how so-called free will is supposed to work. So I'm not engaged. Oh, we, we can, we can, we can, we can <laughs> fire about that whole, whole <laughs> flea back some other time. Some other but time. But I do side with you on Robocop sequels. I, yeah. I do think that that decision in here... In Robocop franchise, it's a huge pile of horseshit, really. Right. All I'm saying that the so-called individuality or the, the, the free will that happens in your environment, all of that has to be bound by all the same physics in the nature as everything else. There's nothing mystical about it. It's not about exactly making choices, but those being already made for you in a way. That nature is working. Everything is working the same way. There's nothing special so about is, that. F- yeah. So humans are kind of programmed to make the decisions that we make. Uh, in, in a sense that everything that you kind of do, it's the result of everything that you have experienced in the past. Yeah, affected by your environment, the chemicals in your brain, it's all connected. Well, of course, it's all connected, but it doesn't automatically negate free will. But we have to then kind of start to define what I mean by free will. I don't, I don't negate the let's fact. Let's not do let's, it today. Let's not. But this is an interesting but, but conversation. It it can be an interesting conversation. But the, the true question here is: Do you actually appreciate that Murphy does not have free will in in the first RoboCop? Oh yes, I do. Okay. And was was Robocop 2014 better film because Murphy mostly does not have free will up until you know the, the first the, the last minute when mm. they have the rooftop helipad face off with Sears and he breaks his programming like was that the moment when the film uh, did it lose something more for you in that moment I think it was a betrayal of the mechanics of of RoboCop, we didn't cross this line in the previous movies, and I don't see a point why it's done now. So okay, I it, I, I side with that notion. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Ho- 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 I I didn't appreciate that that like plot moment. Yeah. Well, Henrik, I guess quickies, or maybe I throw the gauntlet for you here. Okay, in that case, you know, the special mention for an actor goes to. Could it be Peter Weller for knowing when to get out while the iron is not yet in frostbites? I would also go with Peter Weller simply for the fact that well, he actually is is RoboCop. The like like the haters of the mantle were not exactly terrible, but they also were not Peter Weller. Yeah, and his chin was very good, very good performance. Uh-huh. Is there? A- some very small role or something that you would like to bring a special mention to? Yeah, this go- has to go to Samuel L. Jackson. 
getting multiple orgasms about robots on live TV and then burning their creator at the stake. Still gonna stand by that. Yeah, well, I'm gonna give it to Nancy Allen on in Robocop 3. After perhaps most discussed departs from any film franchise, people are still wondering: was it Nancy Allen's decision to get her get her character shot, or was it somebody else? Well, I don't know. It was definitely the screenwriter's decision to kill her off, and everybody knows it that in the audience at the moment when she kind of doesn't want to wear the body armor anymore for that day. Mm-hmm. Well, well, she was off duty. Yeah, and off, yeah. The, off the movie. Yeah, she was off duty in Detroit, the most crime-ridden place in, in all existence. <laughs> what resonated with most or least with you? Well, I like the tight-knit storytelling of the first Robocop. I was uh, applauding by the end of the film. And yeah, it's a film that knows when the lights should go back up in the theater. It knows when to quit. I would like to say that it was all, all the criticism of capitalism, because that was kind of the most running theme like, between most of these movies, but unfortunately I have to say that it's all the hardcore violence in the first film. Ooh, ah, the Christians will burn you at the stake. <laughs> well, Ironically. Okay. I, 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 will, I will just return as a dick-shooting savior at the end. <laughs> in one adjective, how would you describe the films? And this is a very hokey adjective, but if I would have to put one adjective on top of all of them, then comic bookish. Oh, yeah, no. On the other hand, I go with confused, because the, the further the franchise goes, the more confused it seems to be, like, become yeah. as, a, as a whole, as an entity. Uh, do you think that these movies, now talking about all of them, do you think they have some type of legacy, staying power? Oh, you don't have a favorite quote. <laughs> no, I'm skipping it completely. Can I? Can I say my mine? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Do you Yay. have? If you if you have a favorite quote, I sort of shit don't have. But if you have, by well, all means. Not really, but get me a baseball bat with some nails on it. Well, that's the nail bat, you fool. Where was that from? I think it was the second one. It okay. was the, this guy leaving the police office. Okay. These these days I no longer pay that close attention to, to film dialogue. Yeah, we do these episodes completely differently. But the next question. Yeah. So about the staying, uh, do you, so about the staying power of these films or legacy. Do you think they do have one? Yeah, the first one does. But please remember to wipe the rest of the films from your hard drives. Uh, I, on the other hand, I do think that, well, the first two do have. The, the rest, the third one will perhaps have in, in form of infamy and, well, the remake 2014. Well, if, if anybody in the audience is anymore remembering that, I do count it as a small miracle. <laughs> and if you were put the films in order of preference, what would that be? This got modified a bit on the way. I'll go with, well, obviously the first Robocop. Then I will go with... Then I will still go with... Uh, what the fuck? Uh, I'll go with Robocop 2014 and then Robocop 2 and then 3. Motherfucker. <laughs> uh, 
I, I, on the other hand, well, obviously, the first one is Robocop, followed by str- extremely strong Robocop 2. My, like, hard decision, confusing times, comes with, with the third one and the 2014. I'm gonna put, like... When it comes to, to filmmaking, when it comes to movie... Ah, well, fuck it, I touch upon this this later. I, I go 3 and 2014 on the last place. Okay. And finally, complete the sentence. You know, really know you are watching Robocop movies when... When Daddy needs special handling, but can't receive special fondling. <laughs> uh, you really know you're watching Robocop movies when... It's about criticizing capitalism, well, it kinda is not. It's kinda about the existential crisis of your main character being turned into a robot, oh, well, it kinda is not. It's kinda about the crime situation in Detroit, well, it kinda is not, because that already got solved. It's kinda about the Japanese exp- <laughs> expansionism, well, well, about that, yeah. About right, yeah. About right. Well, okay, but to get into the hard-hitting questions of, of tonight... I'm already treading to ask this, but did you like the films? <laughs> <laughs> well, any film that is inspired even partly by The Incredible Melting Man, of course I love it. So, the first Robocop is a solid movie and definitely has rewatch quality. So, the first Robocop, yes, yes. The rest, uh, I would not recommend. No. Oh, would you watch well, these again? Actually, I was supposed to answer that recommendation later, but would I watch these films again? Well, we can just um, skip into the recommendations. Right. I guess we are going to air all dirty laundry recommendations. Right. Well, I would say that I, w- I wouldn't watch these films necessarily again. Robocop, it's a film that I've seen a couple of times, and yeah, hey, but it's not the kind of film that I would necessarily be a fan of that i would have a special connection with it it's a great movie it's nice to see once or twice and i don't need to see any anymore but would i recommend the films like i kind of said only the first one watch the first one if you can spare the time i on the other hand i i do like the first two movies and i strongly would recommend the first one i do think that that's one type of an action masterpiece i do I strongly connect and appreciate its its messaging, its its criticism. But there's a big question about is is propaganda, is it criticism of capitalism, etc., etc. The people are divided over the question. I see Robocop as as a criticism of capitalism. I see it also very uh, forward leaning film. There's a lot that I like. I, I like how Lou is a strong female character without being a love interest. I like how she juxtaposes her with, with Murphy. They are so very similar. There is not that, you know, typical Hollywood man, women divide. Uh, there is no that James Cameron warrior mom thing going on. They're just like, like two cops. I really did like that. And I think the violence is great. It's kind of like a Dempsey and Makepeace quality about this duo. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, you know, I I, I really like an 
full-heartedly recommend the first one. It's an action classic. When it comes to Robocop 2, I do like it quite a lot. It's it's a messy production. The script is kind of all over the place. It it like brings up things, plot lines, and then quickly forgets them and does absolutely nothing with it. And Frank Miller's politics really kind of at the times drive my gears. And Christ, just can't take it. But I still do like Robocop 2. I like the whole OCP trying to force Detroit into bankruptcy. And I, I like, like, when it gets, it, it's, an, it's a nastier film than Robocop 1 when it comes to its treatment of OCP, and I kind of like that also. I like the whole get the best spin team we have. And I do think it's, like, once the film, once Robocop 2, the robot is introduced, it finally kind of gets into gear, and there's some good robot, robot versus robot action. It's not a perfect film, it's very much a mess. I wouldn't recommend it. If you absolutely love the first film, then you know you can check out Robocop 2 too. But it, it's not an open recommendation, even though I personally like it. And I will watch it again, but no recommendation. Robocop 3 is a hot mess, absolutely. And I don't like it. I won't recommend it. I, I kind of give it half-hearted. Like, it kind of has has this... The, the films can kind of form this OCP plotline that carries over from, from the first film to the third film. If you, that's something that you definitely want to see, well, then you can check out Robocop 3. It has the fall of OCP. But I, I like it's just not worth the effort to check it out. And 2014, this is where it gets complicated, because 2014 by all merits, is a better film than Robocop 3. It's better shot, it mm. has better effects, it has better acting. It's very much like, it's very, like, like, technically it's okay. It's averagely well made, and that's my problem with it. To me, even though I really did like the, you know, the, the scientific side of, of Robocop, taking away his emotions and, like, talking about how we are going to do it and we are going to program his brain this way, etc., etc. I really did like that stuff, but I still think that Robocop 2014 is the most boring one of these. It's so basically run-of-the-mill average filmmaking. It's so... That's kind of the running word for 2014. It's average in every department. And because of that, it's like... It's Robocop 3 is worse as a movie. Everything sucks in it. But I was more checking my watch with the 2014. Mm-hmm. It's like a goddamn lullaby watching that film. So because of that, I already put it in, in, in my order of preference. I put it on the last place. And I do not recommend Robocop 2014 in any circumstance it it doesn't even have like like ocp plotline that you could follow like robocop 3 would have like 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 the fall of ocp it it's it just doesn't have anything it it tries to open a franchise and nothing came out of it but yeah that was that's robocop and curiously enough we kind of circled back into our past episodes here like 
in yeah. its in heart when when Robocop was made was very much took influence from Judge Dredd to a point where the costume department when they were designing like making the first prototypes for Robocop's like costume they just recreated Judge Dredd's costume and even though we well we never talked about Judge Dredd but Judge Dredd was something that whose whose long-running comic book character roots are rooted in taking an absolute piece at Dirty Harry and the blown Maverick Cop archetype. Hmm. So we kind of took a detour here, but we circled back into our Dirty Harry episode with Robocop. So, you know, thank you, Curry, for, you know, joining with me once again. Thank you. To do this episode. Thank you, our listeners. If if you have any ideas about Copacanda and Robocop movies and Dirty Harrys and, you know, what have you, by all means... Let us know in, in our social media pages. And I guess that's that. What do you want to do next time? I don't know. I guess masturbate. <laughs> well, but uh, but that's not the answer for, for what we are going to watch next. I was thinking of less explosions for now. Smells like an artsy film. Well, I was just referring to the masturbation. But, um, okay, well... Let's see what's gonna be up next. Again, kind of case by case we go here, episode by episode. But try to cope with us. See you next week. Oh, until then.